0: hey i just got back from lunch did you finish that report yet uh well
2: not exactly i still working on it. i'm not finished just yet uh, i got a little sidetracked but i will get them to you first thing this afternoon
1: <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon
0: well yeah I, I i understand that but i mean i i am working but on what on. do you mean that the report isn't finished yet
2: i'm i'm still in the process of working on it.
1: i've just been a little distracted
0: D- distracted our meeting starts in an hour Dude, are you even listening to me right
1: now? Ladies and gentlemen, it is summertime finally here in Pennsylvania, and we are looking forward to that November 2nd cold front where you're in a tree stand early in the morning and that buck of a lifetime walks out in front of you. Well, what are you going to do next? You have to draw your bow. You have to make the perfect shot. You have to send that arrow right through the vitals. But what if your bow's not tuned? What if you haven't been shooting all year? What if you haven't headed down to Williams Archery yet and got your bow tuned and got it shooting right so you can make that shot on November 2nd on a buck of a lifetime? I call that foolish, my friends, because you need to get down to see Ron and Linda Williams at Williams Archery. You need to get in there. You need to get your bow tuned up. You need to get those hands-on lessons. That's what it's going to take, guys. If you want to kill that buck of a lifetime, don't sit on your couch and say, hey, I want to kill Big Buck. You need to get out and get your bow ready to kill that big buck. You need to go pick up the accessories that you need to kill that big buck. Where do you do it? Williams Archery, of course. I mean, it's the only place around here that I go to. It's my hometown. You know, Edenburg, PA, that's just down the street from me. I grew up here. That's where I want to be when I have to depend on my bow to kill the buck of a lifetime. So give Ron and Linda Williams a call at 724-667-9660 and let them take care of you.
2: Welcome to episode 46 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me in the Rack Shack today forever and for eternity because he's stuck with me now. Charles, Hedden, how you doing, buddy?
1: I do feel stuck. Yeah. I feel stuck here in this chair for all of eternity, like these racks in the shack. In the, like these racks in the shack. The racks in the shack of the shack, rack, rack, shack. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing great. You know, <laughs> we've been busting into some Southern Comfort, a little SoCo action. Ew. And it's it got me feeling... Just fine. I like it, man. How's your week been going? Rough. Rough? You been seeing any deer? Mm-hmm. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah, we went out to uh, the Philly area, Potsdam, PA, Sweet. last weekend. Yeah. Saw tons of deer, dude. Excellent. The turnpike the whole way there, just deer littered everywhere. Two pretty nice bucks and velvet. Two real nice ones. It's just like, I wish you could pull over a little easier on the turnpike and just kind of Look a little glassing. At yeah, a little glassing. <laughs> uh, I did go out last night and do uh, some spotting, too. Sweet. Saw a ton of deer last night, and it was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes max. We just did a real quick loop. Me and Berksy, we took off. You know, McCoy bailed on us. Mike McCoy, that is. He bailed on us. He went to watch a movie with his wife, whatever, boring. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Birdman and my, myself, we we got in the car, and we took off, and we did a quick little loop, checked out some property. Uh, I was questioning because there's a property that we were looking into on that Hunter's Access program. Yep. I was questioning whether it was the same property that was still huntable or not. I don't know for sure, but I know that where I thought, I can't, you know, I'm going to give something away here. I thought this property was no longer accessible. It looks like it still might be. Excellent. So, and there were deer all around it. I mean, deer everywhere. I like that. That That's a good
2: sign, man. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, go knock on some doors, man.
1: I need to. There's a. Doorway, not too far from yours. Actually, that needs to be knocked on pretty quick here, and we need to start. We need to start looking for permission. You know? I agree.
2: I agree. It's the time of year. Let's round up the boys. Let's
1: divide and conquer. Yep. I got a call today from that same Michael McCoy, and uh, he was saying that he might have some property that he went on a little quest today with uh, Burks, and they were asking for oh, did permission he walk it? stuff. Oh, okay, different one. Yeah, different property. I got property. you. I got so you. he might have just acquired some land and sweet. You know, it's nice to have friends. Absolutely. It is nice to have friends.
2: I couldn't agree more. Any
1: other friends out there of the podcast that uh, want to acquire land and invite me on it, I am more than accepting <laughs> to your <laughs> to your offers.
2: All right. Take it easy, guy. <laughs> I can see you sweating. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's 100,000 degrees in here. It in is a little, it's a
2: little stamy in a rack shack today. But I would like to say, I mentioned on the last podcast that I saw a buck last week. That looked like the biggest spike I have ever seen in my life.
1: Has he grown any points?
2: I saw him at about 10 feet the other day. How's he looking? He is an impressive specimen. Really? Yes. He looks like he is going to be a spike. (laughs) And at the very end, he's just starting to
1: throw a little
2: popper on the end, man. But no brows whatsoever. He is almost completely to his ears and he has some serious mass he's just a giant
1: spike basically so you saw him end of august i mean Mm -hmm. i'm sorry 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 end of july end of july where where are deer i get so lost in the progression of deer antler growth this time of year he should have some points growing by now because the ones i saw on the turnpike right where you could tell eight point frame ten point frame good mass already good line uh, time length and everything so
2: typically this time of year i look for the frame and the frame is typically just about, I don't want to say it's done, it's, it might grow a little bit more, but their frame's about done and those tines are starting to work their way up. And then right. pretty soon here, coming up, they're going to they're gonna stop growing and they're going to rub their heads on trees.
1: Mm-hmm. Get rid of that
2: fuzzy stuff on their antlers that looks so cool.
1: And then pretty soon after that, it'll be time to go chase them. Yeah. That's the time of year we live for. Oh my man, friend. I love it. I love it. I mean, Pennsylvania, we pretty much have six weeks out of the year that. We get to uh, chase the white tails pretty hard with the bell. Them white animals. Those white tail animals, we get to chase them. We get to run after them, and that's my tactic. I just run full speed at them, you know, and try to catch them. You have
2: fun with that, sir. It works. It works. Yeah, I like definitely, it. I like definitely
1: it. works. There was a game. There was a game back in the day, um, deer hunter, where there was a cheat code that you could put in, and you could put the cheat code in on the computer, and it would basically make you you run super fast, and you would just follow behind the deer the whole time. And I just shoot these giant 14-point bucks. I mean, I'm like six years old, eight years old, playing these games on the computer. Loving it, man.
2: Speaking of the choir here. <laughs> I had the same game. I had the same yep. cheat codes, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. And I I don't know. Is that is that poaching? Is that poaching? Being able to run super fast? Yeah, and cheating on a video game to kill big bucks. like it Must be. I don't know. I don't,
2: I don't know. know. You always got shamed at the end when you looked at the trophy room and you saw it said,
1: I got no shame in yeah, my game. I used to try to kill like 23 pointers. and Yeah.
2: <laughs> We're getting so far off track right now.
1: It is not. It's a hunting podcast. We're talking about hunting virtually.
2: <laughs> <You're> virtually. <laughs> I'm sure our guest is very into that.
1: Oh, absolutely, man. I, I think uh, I'm sure he's played a few video games in his day. You know, I mean, game is in the title of his group. That is that absolutely true. What is the name of that group? I believe it is Respect the Game. So Respect maybe, the Game TV. Yeah, maybe maybe they're talking about respecting the game and not putting cheat codes in on video games. I think he would agree with that. Yeah, so I'm a bad kid.
2: You're a bad kid. Larry McCoy would be, would be very disappointed with you. He
1: would. He would. would. Good thing we have Philip Vanderpool on today. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. P-Viddy couldn't make it on, you know, so... Uh, We got my boy Larry McCoy, Larry Mack.
2: (laughs) I love that, dude. I was so excited to have him on, and it was really a dream come true, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he spoke some truth. And to be honest, going into this episode, this one is full of really good knowledge, but not like a super tactics type episode, which we never really get into a super tactic episode. But listening to this one, I think we both walked away gaining, you know, something to be Use next fall. That might, you know, be another piece to our arsenal. That might work. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, I mean, I guess we should just get him on the phone now. All right, guys. We have on the phone with us today the big L Mac Larry McCoy from Respect the Game. What's going on, Larry? How are you, buddy?
0: Oh man, doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I truly appreciate it, uh, ben I'm just hanging in there like a hair on a biscuit, as Phil Vanderpool would say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Philip Vanderpool probably has some of the best one-liners of any man on this earth. It's like watching oh, Caddyshack God. in person. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. You ought to share your hunt camp with him. Oh, <laughs> oh man, yeah.
1: I'd love to. Oh man. Oh yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna uh, I'm gonna throw a speedo
0: and we're gonna wrestle on speedos in this is a Nebraska trip coming up.
2: <laughs> I would pay money to have that Facebook <laughs> live. <laughs> yeah right.
0: Yeah right. Oh no, me and Philip are good
3: buddies. I mean.
0: He's a, uh, well, he's a whitetail killer. There's no doubt about it. He kills some big deer. Uh, I was blessed to be able to film him shoot that big Nebraska buck last year. So.
2: Yeah. Absolutely awesome. I love that episode.
1: Yeah, man. He's <laughs> been on a roll for years, uh, just getting it done, getting it done in Nebraska, getting it done in Montana, just. Everywhere you go, you guys are putting you wait, let's let's phrase it, you guys are tipping shit over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, there you go.
0: That's it. That's it, that's for sure. We 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 do our best to get her done. Sometimes it's uh well actually more times than that, it's a little bit you gotta be lucky. Uh but uh, have a little luck on your side and we've managed to do that. So uh it's you know, it's worked out, that's for sure.
2: That's excellent. Well, Larry, every time we get a new guest on the phone, for all the people that are out there living under a rock and don't know who you are, why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where you're from?
0: Well, I'm, uh, uh, Larry McCoy, aka Larry Mack, from Respect the Game TV. I also, uh, you know, am the marketing media director for, uh, the Outdoor Group, which is Lead Archery, you know, Scott Archery, CV Sides, Dual Game Calls, Solid Broadhead, Slick Trid Broadhead, which is, uh, I highly recommend. Cause, uh, yeah, they, they paint the forest floor. <laughs> and then uh lynch mob game calls them where shorts bow or something. we just uh it came crossbows, by the way too so
3: mm-hmm. so yeah i
0: uh i've got a lot of my plate producing the show getting all that stuff going i'm actually from the midwest our factory's up in rochester new york and uh we uh up in that area anyway and then uh i live in the midwest still i live in uh Depends on what time of year it is. Some people call it, call it Missouri. Some people call it misery.
3: <laughs>
2: oh <So>. man,
1: <laughs> I don't know. Looking from uh, over in Pennsylvania, Missouri doesn't look like anywhere near misery. Whenever you seeing them big old bucks getting killed every year out of there.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah, man. It's a uh, you know I, I was born and raised here in the Midwest, and definitely something that I cherish very much. So is, you know, chasing whitetails and and uh, trying to do the best to, to manage you know farms and and do do right by, you know, planting stuff that they're going to need and, and also planting cover that they're going to want to keep the deer close and on your farm. So
1: yeah, absolutely. So where'd you get started? Where did it all come from? This passion that gave you a career, gave you pretty much everything in your life right now. Where did hunting and everything begin with you?
0: Man, my believe it or not. I mean, I'm, a, I'm just an old redneck from Missouri. My, my dad, my grandpa, we, you know, it was, it was just in our blood, you know, growing, growing up in the Ozarks. You know, they all grew up in those are hills of, uh, Missouri down by Mark Twain National Forest area and all that. And I mean, we, they had coon hounds and we coon hunted at night. We did uh, you know, whatever it was. We were hunting rabbits, uh, behind hounds and whatever it took, you know, and just had a good time doing it. Uh, you know, all the way from squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, duck, goose, you name it. We were doing it. So that my passion and I picked up a bow and I started shooting a bow and, uh, was like man this is kind of interesting i can't hit anything but it's still kind of interesting (laughs) and uh so just you know started working that and you know started started bow hunting you know i bow hunted for a little while before i actually shot my first deer you know but it was i took everything in soaked it all up i mean i was just you know watching outdoor television you know going and listening to to back then you go to the movie store and rent dvds or or vhs tapes and it was uh so we I'll do that, man. I'd just try to soak it all in, learn it all. And then me and my stepbrother just decided we we're going to pick up a camera and start filming and, uh, film our hunt. So I filmed him shoot an eight point for the very first time I filmed hunt. We were like, man, that was kind of cool. We could actually go back and watch it and, and do all that. So then he started running the camera for me. I mean, and we filmed, uh, he filmed me shoot a deer. And I mean, pretty soon, we, I mean, we weren't going, we were attached at the hip, uh, just doing it. And then there's an archery shop. We were there, they were running a big sale, and I ran into a guy by the name of Jeff Simpson at that archery shop. Uh, I was in the market for possibly buying a new bow and so on, and he was like, we were talking about running a camera and so on, so, and he's like, man, I run the camera too, and he's like, well, I'm gonna go turkey at the mall one. I was like, well, cool, I'll come film you. So I went <laughs> and filmed, filmed Jeff Simpson shoot a turkey with his bow, uh, the next morning, and it was just pure luck. I mean, bird pitched down, and uh, you know, just, just happened to, come our way. I mean all the end was something that you look at now and it's like, man, that would never happen. What the heck? So it was kind of, you know, meant to be. <laughs> and
3: uh
0: we also Jeff and I started hanging you know, started really doing a lot together with my step brother and um and then he had this idea to come up with a with a show and uh it was uh called heartland bowhunter So so Jeff Simpson and I we started doing that. We started developing tree arms for production and so on and uh, you know and then uh you know, we, as that evolved, you know, Mike and Sean and, and all that came mm-hmm. on a great guy. So all the guys over at Heartland Mike and Mike and Sean are great folks and, uh, you know, great. We just, you know, everybody just kind of went their separate ways and Mike and Sean just took it by the, took the bull by the horns and really, really did something with it. So, uh, yeah, my stepbrother is actually still with Heartland Bow Hunter today.
1: Oh, really cool. Yeah. That's well, fantastic. Austin's actually the one that got me into Heartland Bow Hunter. Yeah. he's the one yep. that uh, referred but, it to me he was like yeah man you got to check these guys out they're awesome and love no, the show man,
0: they're great like i said mike sean skyler clayton ty the, the whole crew over there they're just great they're good hard workers and they you know you know great behind the camera and and uh, you know just great hunters as well you know i can't say enough good things about them have utmost respect for all of them yeah oh, but you man. have no
1: lack of great guys either the respect the game man you're hunting with some really <laughs> yeah. awesome guys. Yeah, you, you know? know,
0: it was one of those things. When, when I did that, I was freelancing video all over the industry pretty much and videoed and, uh, and so, you know, and through that, you develop a lot of friends and, and, and we just, as elite started coming to the forefront of things, you know, and growing as a brand, you know, they, they kind of asked me to, to lead up a television show. And, and so, uh, that's where respect it, the game kind of landed and, and, uh, we just developed a good team of guys and it's, we're filming our ninth season this, uh, this year. And it's been a, you know, it's been an absolute blast. And, uh, we got a great group of guys, you know, like you said that, uh, we just like to go out, have a good time and, and we just have to have a camera there documenting.
3: so Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I can't say enough about the RTV guys, man. It's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Your hunting camp, it, it seems like such a blast. You know, it's like we, we can watch this and be like, man, we'd fit right in. This is just like what we're doing. You know, hunting camps awesome, but you're also killing you're killing big old bucks or you're killing all kinds of stuff. Turkeys, bear, antelope, I mean and you specifically, you kinda got a little bit into that western bug a little bit with your antelope, uh and I
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, the thing is I've always it's something that I've always kind of wanted to do where I was always chasing someone on the side of the mountain with a camera and I've I've documented a lot of elk kills and stuff, you know, with a yeah. camera behind the lens. You know, so we just kind of uh took Just said, Hey, man, we're going to start doing this and we're going to go out west early. We're going to, you know, document some of those hunts and it's a, it's a great time. I love chasing antelope. I love, you know, I love everything about, you know, chasing elk and all the Western game and then rolling right into the, the Midwest whitetail. Uh, you know, the whitetail's here in the Midwest. So it's uh, pretty awesome for sure.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And those seasons come in a little early. So what are you guys doing to kind of prepare for the whitetail season here? Say starting in. Late spring, early summer, kind of right now, this, where we're at right now, you know, the late July, early August. What are you doing now to prepare so you're not worrying about it come September when you're chasing animals out West?
0: As far as, there's, there's a couple things that I do as far as preparing for, for going out West to get the season kicked off and preparing for what I do in the Midwest here to, to get things. One thing too is that you got to do is, you know, Mother Nature's, you know, you can't control, can't control it. You got to kind of get, uh, do and, and adapt and move on so as far as planting food plots and getting preparation ready your proper so you can't get an inventory on what deer are there because every every hunter wants to go out and kill a huge buck wants to go out and kill the a, a 200 inch deer but the, the you know if there's not a 200 inch there you're not going to kill it and a lot of people think that okay if i let this deer grow to five six years old he's going to get to be 170 well that's just not that's just not true Right. Uh, all you can try to do is help a deer reach its potential. Uh, and so a lot of times when a deer reaches that five years old or six year old, he may not ever get above 140. Inch. So, you know, and that's just, that's just it. So don't, don't, you gotta kind of set your goals based upon the, you know, what you have, you know, and I, that way your goals are obtainable because then you can keep being better and better and better. Uh, so I, I try to plant and I try to do that with my farms. you know, get good. It's not about the score of the deer. Uh, it's not about that. I mean, I want to go out and have a good time. I want to, if I can go out and successfully harvest the biggest deer that I know of on that farm, uh, I don't care if he's 115 inches. I don't care if he's 140 inches of decent mature animal that, that I'm happy with and that's what matters. Uh, then, you know, I help everybody else. They can say what they want. That's uh, You know, as long as I'm happy, uh, you know, as long as I'm happy with it, you know, that's what right. it is. Absolutely. So man. I try, I try, yeah, I try to prep all that as far as going out west, my shooting resident, and stuff. I try to, I don't I don't go out and try to shoot for a long time long periods of time. I like to go shoot for possibly you know ten to fifteen minutes. Okay. And I uh, mix it I mix up the yardages. And as I get a little bit closer to season, I'll start uh, when I go out to start my rhythm. I shoot start shooting at a longer distance, like seventy seventy yards uh, or so. Sometimes eighty. Start there. Uh, and I'm not saying go out there and shoot animals at that distance at all. The only reason why I say I, I start there is because as I move closer. My sight picture changes and my target acquisition becomes bigger. So if I'm shooting at a dot or the deer, I'm, it really lets me hone on to where I can settle in on that that one spot where I want my arrow to hit. Absolutely. You know, so as I'm moving closer, I, I move I move closer, and, and it really helps out uh, as far as your target acquisition and your <coughs> sight picture. Because you know you can imagine shooting at 80 yards, shooting at a dot. You know it can be pretty tough depending on how big the dot is, but it's a lot smaller. So as you move up to 20 yards, that dot's a heck of a lot
2: bigger. I'm a big fan of shooting long distances in the off season, trying to get, like, just tune yourself in. Those longer shots, like you were just saying, those 20-yard shots become like, I don't want to say a chip shot, but it, it it's a chip shot. You can pick out that little patch of fur that you're just picking, you're just settling on, and it's so much easier yep. to make that shot in the long run.
0: Well, here's the thing: shooting a long distance. Once you're comfortable, you know, shooting there, it's going to identify mistakes mm-hmm. uh, sure. that you're having that you're, because your mistakes are compounded at uh, long distances. So, so uh people overlook the aiming process of shooting, and what I mean by that is I call I call it drive buying. People are notorious for wanting to raise the pin up or down on the on the target, and as soon as that pin gets close to it, boom, they they learn to time it just right to where they can punch the trigger and, and I call up the drive-by, uh, versus really focusing on aiming and holding the pin right to where you want to hit and being able to pull through and execute a good shot. Uh, so one, one thing that I do do a lot, and my, my wife thinks I'm nuts, like, what are you doing? I don't you really doing anything. I'll load an arrow in my garage at 10 yards and, and on a dot at a target. I will literally draw back and hold a pin on that, looking to my feet, until I feel the shots start to break down, where I'm starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, then I'll let it down.
3: Super and interesting. Do,
0: and then I do that, I do that repetitively, you know, you know, 10 to 15 times usually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you'll notice, you say you do that twice a week, you'll notice after like that second or third week, how much longer you can hold that pin in one spot.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. How often are you doing
0: yeah. that? I do it usually once, once or twice a week. I mean, I like to do it more, but just time doesn't allow it. But right. I mean, it, it does help quite a bit. And then as you get to where you're doing, you just shrink the dot size, uh, <laughs> so you can try to keep the pen from floating. And yeah. you're never going to get rid of some float, I wouldn't think, because of, with the hunting setup, you're not shooting up, you know, a huge long stabilizer or anything. But it's, it's definitely a, uh, uh, you know, something that I use and it helps me kind of settle down because I call, you know, people are like, "Oh, don't punch the trigger stuff." Well, here's the thing. I mean, we're hunters, right? Yeah. It's about it's a, your your mind is telling you get rid of it. I yep. want that arrow gone. <laughs> you know, as soon as you're seeing. So the thing is, is being able to take over subconsciously and say, "Okay," and try to execute at least two thirds of, of everything that you need to do without punching, you're going to probably be successful. Meaning that you know maybe you draw back, you anchor, you're aiming. And you have your yardage just right. But if you know if your pin's holding steady and say it's back rib because he's quartered away now up and down, maybe. And if, and boom, you touch it off because your pin's holding steady. There is an arrow going in that cabin. Yeah. Whether you execute that shot or whether you punch it, you're so used to that pin setting there. That's where the arrow's going. (laughs) There, where you want to hit.
2: That probably goes into like, say for instance, you're, you're drawing that back and you're holding that and you're holding that steady that, that whole time until you're waiting for your shot to break down. You know, that's mm-hmm. practice even for when you get drawn back on a buck and he steps behind that tree and he just stands there. And yep. you're, wait, you're waiting for him to come out and yep. take that extra step, you know. Not practicing absolutely. that, you're going to be shaking, 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 wanting to let your bow down. By the time you let yep. your bow down, guess what? He's going to step out. <laughs> now he's looking at no, you. No,
0: you're absolutely, and, and all that. You know, those are real life hunting situations, you know, cause, and that's what I try to mimic and put myself through. I, I don't have to fire off the arrow to try to, to actually if my aiming process is good and then then i that's you know that's the first thing you have to do before you're touching it all. so get that right get that right you know what i'm saying absolutely and then now work on the next function
1: yeah you guys pretty much are describing my first 10 years of bow hunting uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know i did I, I did i did the drive by a lot when i first started and you know i punched a trigger and i did everything that you know and, and i don't know if that's starting with hand-me-down bows that didn't fit me well or just not knowing any better and kind of something that when my dad or my older brothers were teaching me that they kind of overlooked that. But, you know, when I finally got a good bow that fit me and, and really started to settle it down and figure things out, I still had target panic. You know, over the last few years, still had that target panic where I was kind of taking my pen and I was starting it. You know, it was always mm-hmm. either six inches low of my target or like six inches high of my target, and I'd have to either bring yep. it down or bring it you up. Just and it couldn't like,
0: break, put that. It, pin, it just would it, not get. It just it won't move.
1: It won't right. move. You know, and you and I almost started to flinch my shots into it. You know, I would just yeah. hold it there, and, and as I let go, I would drop my arm. You know, or something yeah. stupid, and and I was shooting decent groups, but it wasn't helping me any. And, and a couple years ago, I listened to a podcast, and I. I heard on there that you can open both eyes and that helps a little bit with target panic. Yep. And I started doing that last year and I've never shot better in my life. You know, honestly, oh, yeah. God just yeah. never For shot better sure. in my and, life. And
0: once you learn to be able to vis- uh, visually aim with both eyes, because some people it's tougher than others. And, and yes. what I'm saying is I'm saying it's not the Bible because I can tell you right now, being comfortable is is going to instill confidence and confidence is going to make you shoot better. So if you're a drive, if, if, you're, if you have a listener that's, that does drive by and they, you know, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily wrong. You know, right. cause if it's working for you, keep doing it. You know what matters? What matters is where that arrow hits. What I look like when I'm doing it, I could give to shit what anybody says. <laughs> as long as, as long as that arrow's hitting where I, where I hit, you know, there, people can screech about perfect form, yep. perfect, and that's great because there is a, a perfect art form to it. But really, archery, it's about being repetitive. If you can do the same thing over and over again, every single shot, your arrow's gonna hit in the same spot. You've yep. like got 20 yards. Yep. You do the same thing. Every thing, the same exact thing, every air. Every, you know what I'm saying? Your arrow's going to be right in the same area. Yeah, I've so never done, it's done really this before. A, but it's, I've... A, it's really about being repetitive. Yeah. So my point is, is being able to aim and hold through that what helps you through the process because subconsciously, a lot of people want to rush your shots. They want to, as soon as they get back, they're close to it. Boom, they're touching arrows off.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: enjoy it. Sit back, focus, get comfortable aim. That's why she, I, I love an elite bow, not just because I work for them, it's cause it does—it it is a relaxed shot, so you can sit and you can really focus on aiming.
2: They got a super solid back wall too. You don't feel like they're going to jump on you at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's what I mean. You can sit back and you can relax. That's what I mean by relaxed shot. You can just relax and and really focus on aiming before you just you know, touch it off. And hunting situations <laughs> though, I'm just here to tell you, you know, we're all human. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make mistakes. You know, I'm going to try try like hell not to, but we're all human. Stuff happens, you know. But all you can try to do is try to control your emotions, try to control that situation right there, uh, so you can make a good decision and execute, you know. And that's the that's the best that you can do. You know. But what the animal does, how they react and all that stuff, you have no control over, to be honest with you. you just right.
1: don't Yeah, now twice and I've never done this before, but twice now during this podcast I have related archery to baseball and I'm a big time baseball player and, and big time baseball fan, but as you were talking about the imperfection, but getting it done, I was thinking of a baseball swing. You know, there's there's the perfect form for a baseball swing, but everybody has their own. You look at the major leagues, how many different swings are out there. There's dozens yep. and dozens of them, but they get it done and people don't mess with that, you know. Yep. And then on the other side of it, like starting far, moving closer, there's always that time where you see a guy that's absolutely on fire at the plate. And they, they use mm-hmm. the phrase, the baseball looks like a beach ball. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the same type of reference to when you're shooting and you start real far and you start moving closer, that target looks like a beach ball. I mean it no yeah, longer exactly. looks like a quarter dot. Right. You know, it's a giant right. circle. It's wild. Oh, no, you're right. It blows my mind.
0: No you're exactly right. And I mean yeah, you know, as my, my kids and stuff growing up I, baseball, obviously people know that you know, I play ball and stuff as well, but here's the deal. You know, when I was talking to my kids and training my kids with the softball and, and Baseball, one of the first things they do when I played catch to them, I painted the seams. I put dots or put dots on the ball and they'd have to tell me what color, what color ball oh, I was throwing out.
3: That's genius. Uh, <laughs> you know,
0: they'd have to tell me what color. That way when, and that's why my kids, they could, they could hit the crap out, out <laughs> yeah. of the softball on the baseball. Yeah, if it's you can read they, it. They could pick up rotation. Yep. They could pick up, you know, they learned to pick up that ball Damn. as soon as
1: I left the hand baseball uh, advice on a hunting podcast that is absolutely incredible i wish i would have known that 12 years ago <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so, uh, no just uh just cool but get back to the question i didn't mean to take it on uh, no that's out, good out, man that's field. good stuff no, no, pun, no pun intended out the left field but i just uh, but as far as prepping we uh you know honestly that's kind of my shooting regiment that i try to do and some of the things i do to to prepare for you know, heading out to the woods and for Really preparing yourself for that situation because there's, there's a lot of prep work that goes into just putting yourself in the right position, uh, to, to execute that shot, to have an opportunity, you know? Yeah. Some years it's harder than others. You know why? Because they're living in, what well, they think they, uh, and it's, it's a game, man. You, you gotta outthink them and, and, and outsmart them to be able to get put in that position, to be put in the sit- position to, to sling an arrow at them or, or even a, a bullet on them, whatever.
1: Yeah. So are you doing any summer scouting or trail camera work right now?
0: Oh yeah, I got trail cameras out right now. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, we got trail cameras out, you know, we, you know, we, and yeah, you know, it's weird. I got properties, so it's sort of like, I haven't absolutely hardly any buck pictures at all. And I got, we I got some decent bucks, but usually mid-August every single year, that's when I'll start getting pictures of the good deer, you know. And, but you know what's so weird about that is I can drive by a, a field or a plot, spotting scope, look and I'll see them out there, but I won't have a dang picture of them. Uh, so. <laughs> They got a really small core area at that point. So the one thing is, you know, as they start to isolate and move around, when the acorns are starting to bloom, the the beans are green, it's, uh, it really starts to, uh, I really start to see them bend. The one thing too that, that I've noticed through hunting is a lot of people are like, they wait to, sh- wait to shoot a deer till he's five, uh, wait till shoot a deer till he's six. Well, here's the thing, you know, if you, My, and this is my take on, I've shot some mature animals, and I've been lucky enough to do that, and on the same property, and that, that I hunt, and I've seen the deer year after year after year. But, as a deer gets older, past that maturity, I really think their, their core area shrinks, uh, just like an old man does, you know, it's like they don't get around as much, they, they, their core area shrinks, and so that tells, because every year that I can document year after year that some of the deer that have had history with, once they get to that six, years old, somewhere in there, they, they really come a little bit more predictable in a lot of cases because their core areas shrink. So they become more visible. I shot a deer last year that I know for sure was eight years old. I oh, know for sure was eight years old. Wow. And I'm not really big on that. I just know he was eight because he had a goofy side. I never once laid my eyes on that deer on the hook, but I had thousands of trail camel photos in the daylight and I, he was just, he just became visible. You know, he just he stayed. I had pictures of him literally on every corner of the property. His core area. He claimed it just shrunk, and he was just more visible when I was able to get him killed. So
2: that's incredible. Um, now, what what kind of going into that a little bit? What did his core area kind of look like? Like now, you said that it shrank. What do you think it was previously, and then what do you think it actually shrank to, and why he became a more visible? I think it was probably visible? about
0: three miles.
2: Oh wow! Wow,
0: three mile radius probably from and. I know at least two and a half because I had a property and I had permission on another piece of property and I had, I had pictures of him on both farms quite often. <laughs> so he was going in between both of them. And so then it shrunk down to just the one, which is a six, pretty much just a 640 acres So one mile pretty much
2: radius.
1: That's so almost by a third. They, he can, dropped. They,
0: they can cover that in a day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, definitely. So that's my, you know, and that's. Sometimes they're bigger, and sometimes it's not. That's just my opinion. Like I said, and, and from what I've seen, I used to document, go out, summer scout, document, you know, on a pad, you know, how are how are the deer into the fields here this year? You know, with the southwest wind, I do all that, and I draw it out and actually diagram it and show all this, and then I compare it year to year to year. And you'd be surprised within three to four days when you start seeing those deer and doing the exact same thing on the exact same winds.
2: That's super interesting. So you're using historical data throughout. The whole history oh, yeah, of the deer to get to on them
0: a lot. Back when I was younger, I had more time. <laughs> but yeah. I don't have the time to do that now. Let's be realistic. You know? yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's. But I did start to realize that it was, there was a repetitive pattern there. So, which was I thought was really really cool because I could tell what deer you know was what. In some cases, in some cases, there was a lot of new deer, or you know they. Some deer didn't grow at all. Some deer, you know, it's just one of those things because you never know what gets shot during gun season or whatever. And, and based upon, there's deer that I thought didn't make it because I didn't have a picture of them, couldn't find any sheds or anything. And then next thing you know, uh, boom, there he is the next year. So it's like, man, that's cool. So
2: yeah. that is so but, cool too, being able to put a pattern on a deer and actually like see your hard work pay off and yeah. really realize that you actually have a solid pattern on them. and you're like, man,
0: right? So I'm gonna get it done off. this year. Well, and here's you know. the thing, I mean. To answer that, I mean, yeah, it is really cool to do that when it happens, but it doesn't happen very often,
2: no, that's like difficult. I say, you always have
0: to have a little bit of luck because yeah. uh the wind's right, you know it just got to be and that in time, it takes time to do it, you know
3: that's absolutely it, it takes
0: time to go out and do it and do what people are watching on t v and the stuff that that we do like you know it, it's it's tough okay. to do people have normal jobs, they have wife kids and, and other obligations, so it's tough to to break away to to collect all that data so Trail cameras and make it a lot easier, you know, planting food plots and stuff. That helps tremendously because you're really trying to congregate the one, uh, deer, you know, try to isolate and the travel route for them, uh, makes things a lot easier. That way you, you know, you can, you're want to put the deer in one spot so that they got to go from bedding to feeding. So how are they going to do that? You know, so you can, you can really answer a lot of questions with those, not only add nutrition. And I will tell you this. I mean, I will plug a company that I have, I'm just absolutely uh, Maze line is a uh, backwards attraction. The food plot blends and supplemental feeding stuff is absolutely incredible. I've I've planted a lot of food plot seed and even went mix my own at the co-op, but <clears throat> I don't know. I have not hit anything a bad blend yet. I mean, it just performs flawlessly. Their radish blends and their turnip uh, broadleaf. And we talked earlier before we got on this podcast when we were talking. We were talking about planting broadleaf time of year. What I like to do here in Missouri is. Some people like to plant them in July. Some people like to plant them. I like to plant them a little bit later. And I'll, the reason why I do is a turnip can they'll grow to be really, really big. And usually a deer really won't attack those turnips until after the first frost. And
2: that's when they I get really sweet, want, right?
0: Yeah, that's when the sugar will come come through the uh. So, so it's I I don't want that turnip, in my opinion unless I'm really trying to give the ground nutrients. I, me personally, I don't want that turnip to be the size of a volleyball, (laughs) you know. I want it to be maybe the size of a baseball or even a golf ball because now it becomes a food source for that deer. They can get it in their mouth. They're not exerting energy trying to eat this big old thing. It's less energy to put this little thing in their mouth than the big. But you're still getting a lot, too, because there's a lot of nutrition in the leaves and stuff as well. That's just my opinion. I've seen better results out of them when I've done that. I'm planting as that, sorry, as term plots, but this backwards attraction stuff, it's been absolutely awesome. The radishes is another good one because they, the radishes will grow vertical under the ground. So if I've got a first year plot that I want to do, I'll plant radishes a lot of times in there because then what I'll do is I'll let the deer feed on them and then don't go do anything. And then what I'll do is mow it down, try to turn the dirt over the best I can, uh, just because it helps the dirt, helps the soil, uh, your pH level can, can level all that stuff. So you come in with a perennial plot, like a clover plot of some sort, or you know, some sort of uh clover rye mix, whatever. Uh That's something that's going to you know work to those regards. So, mm-hmm. but that's that's kind of my my method to to planting them. But that backward attraction stuff's absolutely awesome. But also they got some like attracting sprays called Craze. Uh, the bucky berries, pretty awesome. I mean, I do get to a point where I'm checking trail cameras. I spray that stuff. I'll just go spray it and the conditions those year, a lot of times that and they get used to spraying it. So therefore during hunt season, uh, you know, I'll go out there and I can spray some of that stuff as I'm going in or whatever they're used to smelling it.
1: Yeah, oh, that's so. pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's always intrigued me about the planting, you know, food plots and things like that because, you know, Austin and I over here, we don't really have any, I don't know, we don't have any land that we really own that's probably that large to put plots on. But we hunt a lot mm-hmm. of farmers' fields and different things like that. And you know, I've always been intrigued or interested in doing it. It's just never really had the opportunity to do it. So <laughs> yeah. I envy, but, but I also, you know, appreciate the guys that put all that work in, you know, year after year. And they get, you know, good bucks on their property and they're helping them grow. And, you know, and then if it comes all together and they end up killing one off their property, it's got to be like the the ultimate ending to your story, you know.
0: Oh, there, there's no doubt. Uh, and, you know, they make a product called Shady Patch, too, which is cool. Like if you're in a timber or have some canopy over there. Really it's almost a no till design, you just clean it up, you can throw that stuff out and you absolutely love it as well. It grows, it's got a ride bling and stuff that, that'll that grow and it comes up fairly well in the in the, the shady uh areas as well. But but here's the thing. I mean, <clears throat> let's be real here for a second. It's just that it does take a lot of work. Yeah. People that watch T V shows respect the game and all that stuff. I don't want them I don't want to misconstrue those those folks, you know, because it's hard work. It's hard work, and it's not just, hey, we're going to plant this. It's going to grow. A deer's going to show up, and I'm going to shoot it.
3: Mm-hmm. It's not,
0: there's more that goes wrong than goes right. You just happen to see more of the right on the show. So you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you'll see some of the wrong. I promise you. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I know there is a lot that goes into it. I mean, just even soil testing and getting your soil right is absolutely... An arduous process. I mean, putting enough lime in the ground and everything—pretty. It can get expensive. You know, I've done the no-till. Oh, absolutely. Just done micro plots and stuff like that, and they never really turned out that great. I'm sure if I actually put the time and the and the money and and the effort into it, I think it would turn out a little bit better. But
0: <laughs> oh, well, that's the thing. When I first started kind of planting some food plots, I think it took it took probably three years before I even had one that really looked like a food plot.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, honestly, and now. I kind of encourage people to, to plant some cover in your fruit plot. I, I plant Egyptian wheat, little patches that I can, I'll put a ply piece of plywood down, plant Egyptian wheat up to where the plant's really, really high, grows really, really tall. And I, that way, if there's a bare spot in there, I can throw a ground line in for super cold weather, late season or whatever. And then plant little patches through there and kind of funnel deer around because it, it makes them feel safe with that cover around where you're going to more have to get a daytime
3: fedora.
2: Yeah. I can think of a spot that I actually have permission on that having cover would absolutely probably bring the deer out during the daylight rather than it's, it's yep. really close to a road and it's a great big open field. And I, I've, I've put cameras out there and I've seen deer out there a few times, but they are very iffy coming out when it's daylight. And I think if they had that little bit of cover like that, I think they might make an appearance right before. I, I
1: think about that stuff all the time, yeah. all absolutely. the time, you know,
0: the other thing, man, I love to do. And if you watch it, you know, probably know it is. I love the call. Dude. I love
2: the,
3: call,
0: yep. I love the call. I love it all, man. i, I there's just something about the vocalizations and been talking to one another. A lot of people say like, "Oh yeah, you blow a call here," they come the other way. Well, I mean, I'm willing to take that risk because I, I, there's a lot of times you just got to know what to do, what that, you know, how kind of how to call a little bit. And I, like I said, I have scared a lot of deer and and I've learned a lot from it and to know how I want to call early season versus how I want to call there in the rut and even late season. uh So. We could do another podcast and we could talk about some deer calling stuff.
1: And, uh, no, sounds good to me, man. I love calling in deer. You know, I've, I've <laughs> yeah, had pretty so. good success with it too. And those make the best hunts by far. You know, there's a oh, lot of yeah. times that I blind call and nothing happens, but I've called in some really nice bucks and had mm-hmm. a lot of encounters where, had I not been calling, there's no way in hell I'd ever have an encounter with that deer.
2: Absolutely, that buck that exactly. I shot last year came in right after I grunted, man. Five yep. or six minutes, right after I grunted, I turned around and I just took a glance over my shoulder, and here he was coming. Man.
1: Yeah, I think that's the issue. Sometimes people want it to be immediate. You know, they think they're going to call and a deer's going to show up within thirty seconds. You know, sometimes that deer comes wandering in ten minutes later, and you don't. Oh, yeah, you don't. You know, you don't attribute it to your calling, but there's a good chance that's what happened. You know, he hung up, waited for it to make sure everything was safe, and as long as you're not moving and jumping around up in your stand, you know, which a lot of people do, a lot of people get impatient up in their stands. Yeah, that deer will eventually two, work yep, its way in. Exactly. You
0: know? No, you're right. There's two things that I do a lot of times too, With well, just to, to elaborate on that, you're exactly right. And a lot of times they'll sit out there and look. They'll try to associate another sound. So right. what I started to do was, uh, especially when it gets, you know, towards the pre-rut and the deer are really responding, what I do is I take a Ziploc bag and I go out and I fill it full of leaves. Hmm. And I take that with me. And every time when I call, you just pull that out squeegee, and squeeze it and it'll go, if a deer, you see a deer, if you do see a sight, see a deer and you call, get their attention up and you don't, it looks like he's not going to come or he might, you know, as soon as he hit it again and then hit, you know, take that leaves behind your back or something and, and you'll get them, yeah, they'll, they'll get pretty curious. Or I'll take, you know, paracord or my pull up rope and a lot of times I'll, and I'll hook it to a limb on the, on the ground and, uh, and utilize that and then Raise it and lower it so the sound does some uh, You associate another
1: sound with the call. Yep. I've done that. I've done it with my rattling antlers. I'll rattle them. And I talked about it on the podcast uh, way back when that I've actually, like, a, a deer was close and I would just drop them on the ground so it would sound like something scurrying in the leaves. But I've tied them <clears throat> to my bow rope and, you know, bounced them off, up and down off those loud leaves just to make it sound like some ground, com- you know, some noise coming from the ground, deer running or rustling mm. around, make it more oh, realistic. Yeah. You know, you're painting oh, a picture. Exactly.
0: And, it, but, I I'm telling you, it'll, it's, it's, it's gotten several deer killed, that bag of leaves has.
1: That, that bag <laughs> of leaves idea, that is money. That is that absolute is so gold. That is genius, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolute so, gold. Uh, we are definitely going to
2: have to bring you back on to talk about calling and stuff, really get in depth about it. Absolutely. Yeah, man, that, that sounds that, that like a good idea. I'm
0: yep, up for, for it. Sure. <laughs> you know, but, you know, the, the, the dual game calls, I use the, the grunt tubes from dual, the double back and the stretch back and then. The dough next door is the bleak called other youth with yep. it. And it's, I've, I've been super, super impressed with them. And, and, uh, I just, I just love it. I know the guys over small town hunting and, and, uh, backwards, like Philip and all stuff. We just fly out, wear them out. Uh, <laughs> 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 we, we wear them out. We blow them pulse, uh, uh, just um, literally all the time. And it's, uh, pretty awesome man.
1: No, that I is just, awesome. I
0: love it. I made up with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how have you done on the bleak call? I, I've never seen a lot of success with bucks on a bleak call, but I know, I know people, and I know I've done it myself. I've actually called in doe with a bleak call before. You know, um, whenever you see a mom separate from, you know, a yearling or something like that, early season. My my brother's done it, and he's killed multiple deer oh. that way.
0: Yeah. Oh, here's the thing, dude. The 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 doe next door. It's one of my favorite calls, uh, honestly. Uh, I, and all year round, I use it. It's just got how you use it. Is right. The one thing. How many times have you sat in your stand early season and with all the foliage on, you look and you see that deer walking. You know, all you see is legs walking and you're like, that was a deer. Is that that deer I was to pictures of? You don't know. 90% of the people, they just let that deer walk by and they wonder what deer it was. So a bleak call that time of year is magic because they're so, so they're still very social animals. I've watched bucks go up to fawns when their doe's are already out in the field feeding and really nudge the fawn out there. Because those run, running, running out there and do it. They will walk up to a bed of deer, you know, almost every time. And so a bleat, if you, if that scenario, a, a soft bleat with that bag of leaves, all you want to do is try to figure out what that deer was. Right. So you can determine what to do next. Because what if it is that big buck and you would have just let him walk by. Now you got a better, you got an eyeball. Okay. It's a buck. So I need to watch, I need to pay attention or it's a doe that I'm not interested in or whatever. You know what I'm saying?
3: So Absolutely.
0: Now it's giving you the opportunity to, to decide, Hey, if it is, I need to get a closer look or you know what I mean? We can now I can determine what I want to do next versus just watching them legs walk by, always wondering what it was.
2: Absolutely. You know what, Larry? I don't know if you guys have a video like that on YouTube or anything, but I think you should do the bag of leaves and the the bleak call as a YouTube video and get that out there because that is like –
1: I don't know. The more people that know, the more people are going to do it, and it won't work as well, okay? (laughs) Let's keep that right here. (laughs) You better cut that shit out too, Austin. Yeah. I've done some calling seminars
0: at at some consumer shows and brought it, and you can see what I I pull out of Ziploc bag full of leaves. and like, oh, what's that? And then when I talk to them, they're like –
3: Yep. Whoa.
0: I never thought of that.
1: <laughs> Eyes open, mouths drop. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's one of the things, little, I guess, not really tricks, but just what I use to, to kind of help, help from the calling so, uh, side of things because it's, uh, you know, and it's worked. It's worked a lot, of, a lot of different times. And you know, you just got to know when to do it. And you'll learn though the sequence of how the deer walk when you just listen, pay attention, you know, when you're in the tree listen and then boom, you can, you'll be surprised with how, how real it
2: sounds. <laughs> yeah. Pretty amazing. That is absolutely awesome.
1: Yeah. That goes back to woodsmanship man. just, uh, you know, like you said, listen and watching other deer and how they act and how they move. You know, if you, if you're trying to paint a real picture, you, you kind of want to base it off the real thing, you know? So the yep. more time you spend out there and, and the more you do it and the more you learn, the only the better you're going to get, you know, and it takes time. And again, going back to that immediate gratification thing, everybody wants it, but you know, you gotta learn first and you gotta kinda take the steps and in and, and today's world, I mean watching shows like yours or, you know, listening to podcasts, a lot of things, you can really up your game really fast. You know, but nothing's yeah, gonna and, beat the experience. Absolute one hundred percent. Getting out yeah, there and seeing the
0: it. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's one thing about our show and, and me personally. Man, I wanna see every I love success stories. Yeah. You know, I love success stories and, and if whatever's going to make it work, I, you know, I, I want to hear about it. And if you got a question about something and, and I can give you my opinion on or, or answer it the best way that I possibly can, but don't be afraid to send me a message on Instagram, Larry McCoy, 15 uh, is, or go to Facebook, send me a message, whatever the case may be. Uh You know, I'd be more than happy to answer anything. or give you my opinion on it anyway. And uh, cause I love doing that. Cause you know what? That's how I learned too. Yep. And uh, we're all, we're all hunters. There's a lot of things that, that uh, I try to learn every time I go out there, you know. And and there's a lot of people out there that don't have a TV show that that don't that heck I I can learn a ton from. And and I embrace. I want to communicate with them. And I want to learn as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, and then there's stuff that I may know that they don't that i be re- I'm more than willing to share. So
1: yeah, absolutely. That's super generous, man. <laughs> no, for sure. And you know, there's that goes back to like some overlooked things and small things that you might just mention in general conversation that somebody else you would assume they knew about, but really they didn't. You know, and and don't think just because something, and I'll go both ways with this, just because you you get one piece of advice, you always have to take what works for you. But, you know, you might use that piece of advice and it might not work once and you might totally throw it out like it just didn't work. But you got to remember, every deer has its own behavior and its own personality. You know, just because it didn't work once on that deer, it might work again on another deer. And to go the opposite, if it works once on a deer, it might not work on every deer. So yeah. You know, it might
0: not work on Tuesday, but on Wednesday it might work. Absolutely. And and if
1: you think <laughs> you know? about that, you know, it might not work on the little little six point that you tried it out on, but you do it the next day and a giant ten point comes in and you kill them. Yep. You know, think about if you well, would just people, dropped how it. How
0: many people's moved a tree stand after the first set because they didn't quite like it, but that's where their gut told them to. Yep. They move it and the next night they walk over and they see that deer right over there walking where you just set up the day before. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Larry, did you follow a, me last season or something? Like, <laughs> yeah. come on, man.
0: <laughs> trust me, I, I know because I've done it. And that's the thing. I've, I've done it. So now I kind of make a rule, unless it's a just a tall tale sign of you don't need to be there, I try to set that at least at least a minimum of two times, if not three, yeah. before I move.
1: Yeah, and we always – I mean, we have our favorite spots that we kind of hit every year, and we, we try to stay out of them and keep it fresh. But, you know, I like I do like to hit a certain area maybe two or three times a year. If not more, depending on, you know, last year I hunted yeah. the same spot twice. I shot a deer one time and blew an opportunity a second time. But, you know, that was the same exact stand twice all year that right. I hunted it. I could have hunted again and I've seen deer every time I was there. But, you know, you don't want to over hunt it. But at the same time, like you're saying, just because you didn't see deer there one day, you know, next Tuesday, there might be 12 deer to run by that same stand <laughs> and you're kicking yourself because you're like, oh, the deer were all over here the other day. You know and no,
0: and, you're right, and let me tell you I w- I'll just one more point too about the rut, yeah, because this is one thing that I've noticed a lot of people i've I have these two farms are literally right down the road from each other, right, and the heat the peak of the rut I mean hadn't hadn't seen any rutting activity, but I'm hearing everywhere, oh um, man the they're chasing they're doing all this me personally, where I'm at, I just haven't seen it yep, but then one day over on this farm, I've seen all of this other stuff, my buddy was hunting the other from over there. Never saw a deer. Never saw a deer. So my point is, is just because I believe that based upon that, that herd and based upon that, the whole, you know, activity, when they, th- this farm over here may be hot to trot. The one three miles away may be dead as a hammer. You know what I'm saying? And, t- and then the next week, this next, this farm down here that was dead as a hammer could be hot to trot. The other one's just starting to wind down.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's all about being there for that one hot day or that one hot moment. And I've seen it. We have one property that my family hunts and we've hunted forever and you could hunt it all route long and never see a deer. But there was that one day where every one of us, I swear to you, every one of us saw bucks chasing does just crazy. And we were just there the day before in a different spot and didn't see anything. But you know, one Mm -hmm. night, three, three of us shot a buck in one night, you know, and there was just deer literally everywhere. It was like someone hit a switch and turned it on and it's about being there for that moment you know and you have to be in the right place at the right time sure but you know staying persistent through the rut is is key you know hunting yeah, hunting the best puddles right. I mean, and everything
0: yeah sometimes you know i mean they're gonna breed one way or another whether it's a night or they're gonna chase they're gonna you know at some point that's the thing you just got sometimes some ruts are a little bit more active and because of the Age structure the deer because maybe there's a little bit higher deer density that year maybe it's because whatever reason but i know one thing for sure you're not gonna see shit sitting on the
1: couch
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's right better believe it man that's right so
1: well you got me fired up larry you definitely do and you got me uh, i'm I'm holding back deer stories so i'm kind of in the mood for one uh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) if you have something that's uh that's good for our listeners maybe one of your favorite hunting stories i'd appreciate if you get into that maybe a little bit for us
0: uh, yeah, I mean, there's, let's see here. There's, I mean, there's several stories that I could tell, but one that, that would go, oh, somewhat quick. It was a, uh, it was a Kansas hunt long. Um, I think it was actually on season two of Respect the Gambit. Uh, uh, a big year, you know, we had actually seen new piece of property, uh, just literally seen there was an alfalfa field there and, and wind was right, uh, was actually wrong for the whole set. We, so we had to go around. There's just one little tree row with like six trees. And I was like, so we walked all the way around just to hang a set, a set for an observation stand to uh see it. We've been seeing in pictures of a deer way on the other side, I mean, of of this big alfalfa field. And so literally in my mind there was no way a deer was gonna walk by these trees. I mean no way. I mean literally. I could three hundred sixty degrees around it, we're two hundred yards from another tree and grass as tall as my ankle. Like there's just no way. I was just wanting to keep an eye on this alfalfa field, see how deer are going in and exit and stuff, so we can go in and make a, you know, make a set and just kind of ease in on them and try to see if we can't get it done. Well, we uh the first night in, we sat there. I was like, man, I really like to see that big deer. And I'm looking through binoculars or whatever, and way up on this, way up about 800 yards was I saw see these doe on the edges. These does on the edges of this smile field. and I see a uh, bucket, you know, just ease behind. Didn't look like a, you know, slammer of a buck, but I was for sure that, okay, they're, they're just going to, you know, ease over and work the way over to alfalfa. And we sat there and watched these deer from that far and those jumped the fence and it was literally like I was just, you know, sitting there going <laughs> <laughs> because they were like on a single line and literally walk 800 yards. They started to cut off. Just a little bit. I grunt one time and I'm like, dude, where's the buck at? I turn around and the buck is just walking right at us and all of a sudden he snort wheezes and I grunt again, walks out and it's, it's one of the biggest deer I've ever killed. And it was the first night, the, the, that whole deal, just the, ob- the observation, the point of that is whenever there's does, whenever all that stuff, you just never know. No. You never know what they're going to do. That doe, he wasn't tending a doe. He wasn't, all he was doing was following that doe around. He didn't have them out in the middle because that's where the does literally took them. Usually when they're tending a doe, they're going to take them out in the middle away from the rest of the herd. And they're going to tend them out in the middle of a big open pasture. Or usually places where people don't think that deer are. They also, that's where the big ones will, will take them to tend them. And then sooner or later they don't. So that just happened to be one of those cases. Freak,
3: freakish luck. Freakish luck.
0: No way, no way. I mean, there was nothing that I did where I expected I'm going to make something happen. Yeah, all I was wanting to do is gather in. Yeah, just happen, just happen to come together. So my point is, don't be afraid to step outside the box. and Try something,
3: right? You know,
0: try something new. To and always be prepared. Yeah, because I can tell you, oh, I'm not going to take my bow on this deal, or just because of this, that's when it's going to happen. You're going to be like, oh crap, Dude, I'm an idiot. <laughs>
3: you know,
0: <laughs> or whatever. It's just that's just what it is. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. You were basically hunting for you know tomorrow, whenever the the conditions exactly. might be right. And and it was like you had treats in your pocket. Those deer just come right into you. (laughs) You Exactly.
0: You know, and 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 without expecting at all, you know, I, and literally, I almost didn't even take my bow that night. I just was just going to really scout. I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'll just take it just to whatever. And literally I didn't even have an arrow out of my quiver when the the deer first started walking and I was like, (sighs) and I had to knock an arrow and everything. And like I said, it was just one of those things where. You know, it really kind of taught me, hey, you know, just always be, rich. you never know. Uh, yeah. They can be very, very unpredictable just as well as they can be predictable.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Super solid advice, man. <laughs> yeah. I spent so,
1: a lot of time in the woods. I don't know if there's any better feeling than just kind of scanning the woods and looking over, and all of a sudden there's a big buck just standing there looking your way, yeah. and you're like, where did you come from? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it hits you, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, just exactly. uh, the unexpected sometimes. <laughs> you know turns out to be one of the better feelings or the better you know after feelings if you especially if you get it done you know <laughs> yeah. you totally just yeah. explode or break down and it's yep. it's amazing that's what we do it for you know that's what it's all about
0: no man you're right you're right but yeah that's just kind of you're you're exactly right and you know just that the thrill of it all being you know, all like I said learn captivate and then also mm-hmm. you know uh, you know, where I'm fortunate enough to relive them, you know, through video or whatever. I can look at mouse on a wall, or whatever, and I, and I can literally tell you the date. I mean, I'll stop and think about that that moment, the moment of truth.
3: <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, what about all of them stuff? It's pretty pretty cool, that's yeah. for sure.
2: I dig it. I dig it. Well, Larry, we don't want to keep you all night, but for those people that don't know where to find you or where to find Respect the Game, can you let them know where they can find all that fun stuff? Social media.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Respect the Game, uh, TV on YouTube. Uh, Respect the Game TV on, is also on, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, my personal handle on Instagram is LarryMcCoy15, LarryMcCoy on Facebook. Uh, Respect the Game airs on the Sportsman's channel, Haunt channel. You can find past episodes and, and unseen footage on YouTube as well. Uh, not to mention MOTV uh, also carries, uh, airs, uh, respect the as well we got some cool stuff coming as well so just uh yeah go over subscribe to the pages and give them a like and uh you know you got any questions or anything by all means you know ask ask them well yep. we'll give your humble opinion
1: yep yep and you got a website as well um, which is actually pretty well Absolutely. put together. i sorry I
0: missed that. It's, re- it's respectofgame.tv. That's right. That's Excellent.
1: Right. <laughs> and we are here to attest that he will answer if you message him, and it is him on Instagram because here he is, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Unless yes, we've been exactly. talking to
1: an imposter this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> nope,
0: nope. It's me. Like I told you guys before, I said, you know, why wouldn't I answer you? And who doesn't like to sit around and talk about huh And, uh hunting and learn stuff from other people and all that stuff. Who
1: the heck who doesn't want to chat about that? Yes, so. sir. That's what we're all about. Oh, that's absolutely
2: awesome, man. Well, hey, we really appreciate you coming on. You are welcome to come back on anytime you want. And I look forward to it, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Man. I had a lot of fun.
2: Yeah.
1: Heck
0: yeah, anytime, uh thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Like I said, you know, if, if y'all ain't subscribed or tuned in or following the pages, uh follow me on Instagram, follow the Follow Respect again crew. And we sure do appreciate you guys very much. So,
2: well, a huge thanks to Larry McCoy for coming on the podcast, taking time out of his night to talk with a couple of dudes from Pennsylvania who, you know, just slay giant deer like he does. So, you know. yeah, that's us.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, who's running this podcast again? Um, the slaying giants part is one I look forward to since starting this podcast. Larry McCoy on this episode, man, dropped knowledge bombs. He had great conversation. I told him afterwards, I was like, you know, I just, I put the pen down because I like to take notes and go through kind of, we don't have a list, but just to kind of go through different topics that I hear brought up at times, I put it down, I sat back in my chair, I drank on my Southern Comfort, and I just really enjoyed good conversation there between the two of us. Totally agree, man. Sorry, three of us.
2: Three of us, yeah. Yes. Totally agree. That guy is, is full of knowledge, and he's just a cool dude to talk to, honestly. I mean, he'll talk to you about anything, especially if it's hunting related. I mean, that guy, if you go on and you ask him a question, he's going to answer it. I mean, he's going to give you his opinion to the best of his knowledge. He's not going to BS you. He's just going to give you raw what he
1: thinks. And, you know, most of the time, I would take that advice. Absolutely. And I'll (laughs) I'll tell you what, for a media director of the outdoor group, we barely touched on that really during the episode. But he's not someone that's going to push product on you. Respect the game. TV show is not all about, you know, pushing product or being like that that clicky cliche TV show. Yeah, you know they they have a great group and it's awesome. You feel it when you're watching it. You know these are real people. These are guys that you could hang out with. Absolutely, these are guys you know. You know they're the same type of people that you know and hang out with and and share camp with. You know, and watching their show is awesome. Yeah, man, I think I could, they do it right.
2: I couldn't agree more. And going back on the product thing. They're not really pushy about the products, but they're going to show you the products that they like.
1: It's something that they believe in. It's something that he uses and that works for him. Absolutely. You know, and we're we're kind of the same way. You know, we have what we have because we believe in it, because it works for us. Certainly. You know, nobody's paying us to use anything, for sure. But, you know, if I find something that works for me that I really like, I'm going to tell you about it. You know, and this guy's making a living off of that, but he... He's backing really great products, too. That helps. That You know, the Slick Trick, unbelievable broadhead. You know, Elite Archery, unbelievable bow. The, the leaps and bounds where they have come just from the beginning of where Elite has started, and they are legitimately a top-end bow and a top-end contender with some of the biggest names out there that have been out there for probably far longer. You know, and then Scott Archery, another one. Super releases, man. Phenomenal releases. I've been looking at Scott Archery releases for years now. Yeah, I might had get one. Into one. I had one back in the day. Yeah, I, I gotta make the. I gotta make the move. You know, I've been using the same release my entire hunting life. Literally from day one, I've had the same hand-me-down release with my dad's. Well, used to have my dad's initials on them. But they've got so worn down. It was his backup release. It got so worn down that they ain't even on there anymore. It's just an old school release. Never lets me down.
2: Get after it, kid. I'm right there with you, though. I've been using, I have a lucky release that I've killed every single buck I've ever shot with a bow. Killed a bunch of does with some other ones, like my backup release and stuff like that. But I have that one that's just special to me. And it's always, it's always with me. But
1: yeah. You know what I also forgot? Mm. And we covered early in this episode was like about target panic and different things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. What great advice. I mean, honestly, when you guys were talking, I'm sitting here going, dude, are they talking like they're talking about me? This was me. You know, I've been doing this for a long time and this is, I've done those wrong things for a long time. And I sit there and when I'm shooting with guys in the yard, it only compounds because you're, you're, you know, you're, you got people around, you got a little bit of pressure and you're trying to make good groups. You're not trying to embarrass yourself or anything like that. But I'd find myself shooting out there by myself, just. Jumping my arm all over the damn place to make shots good. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't be doing this in the woods. Well, I, I have to change something. Yeah. So I'm going to start doing what he does, which is drawing the bow back 10 yards, putting it on the dot, and leaving it there. Hold it. You know, even with two eyes open now, I've solved a lot of my issues with that, mm-hmm. but I still find it kind of creeping back.
2: Wait until that shot starts to break down, man. Just keep just hold it, And then hold let it.
1: down. Yeah, absolutely. And redo it. You know, that that's, that's definitely good advice. And another thing I forgot to mention with him as well is not overshooting. Yeah. Not creating bad habits. I agree. You know, a lot of guys want to get out there in the early season. I'm guilty of it. I don't shoot year round. But, I mean, I don't see why not. I could probably fit a couple targets down on my basement. Maybe shoot 15, <laughs> 18 yards. You know? <laughs> Just have to put maybe a, a warning sign up that I'm shooting, in you know, open range or something. But <laughs> I, I overshoot early in the season. I shoot a lot. I get out there and I, I try to break the muscles in and I don't worry about accuracy. I don't worry about any of that stuff, but I don't know if that's always the best way to go about it because, you know, if you're shooting all year round or even if you're not and you're getting out there being more realistic to that shot that's going to take place in the woods, you get one shot most of the time. Yeah. You get one shot. You know, you're not out there all, all day practicing 20 shots, you know? So I don't know. I think he, uh, he dropped some really good advice and I hope there's a lot to be gained from this episode from, from Larry McCoy, that man is uh, a brilliant mind, and you know he, he gets it done. He gets it done. On everything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. And I would encourage all of you to go out there, watch a show, Respect to Game TV. If you don't like it, don't watch it. But I think you're just going to dive on deep into it. Those yeah. guys are awesome. They slay critters like it's their job, because it is. <laughs> they tip shit over. <laughs> they tip shit over. And it's just a really super solid show. And you should go over to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everywhere that he plugged. And give them a follow. Say hi. Give them a like. All that fun stuff. Head over to YouTube and subscribe. You're going to learn all sorts of stuff. They have stuff on there that they don't show on the TV show. A bunch of tips, tactics, tricks, and just fun videos that don't make it on the show. You can also do us a huge favor and head over to iTunes. And give us a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Go wild at the white tail podcast
1: we need to post more on go wild i kind of got off that platform with everything else going on and it happens it's a great platform it really is yeah i love it you honestly know. that and twitter I, i've fallen off the world get back on the twitter sphere we talked about this we did we did and then i worked uh, like 12 14 hour days every day last week I had so much fun, man. I love work. <laughs> I love it. Who wants to hunt when you can just work? Yeah, you know. I mean, it's it's Thursday. I'm drinking <laughs> Southern Comfort. That tells you a lot. Rut row. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, guys. Until next week, the distraction is real. The
1: distraction, real boys and girls, get out there and get it done.